We want to get into the Word of God. So would you open your Bibles and uh, turn to the book of, where are we? We are in the book of Matthew. So turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 17, and then we'll get there. I just want you to bookmark it, uh, Matthew chapter 17. I love being here. I, I, I love this church, you as the people. Uh, there's no greater place to be. I, I look forward to these nights. I remember when Heidi and I were first coming to our midweek services, it was at uh, across from, uh, where is that place now? It was the old food fair, but there was a blue building. Some of you remember that. And I remember when we first were attending there, uh, I, you know, I didn't know what to expect, but it was, it was just something that helped me to grow in the Lord. And so we continued to attend our Wednesday night services. And, and as many of you have been, uh, take it as an opportunity to dig deeper, you know, uh, rather than listening to someone speak, listen to the Holy Spirit speak, you know, sometimes something will touch your heart, and then you'll feel that sense of, boy, that's for me, kind of thing, you know, take that, digest it, chew on it a little bit, even if you have to take notes, sometimes we'll talk about a scripture, and you'll say, boy, that was a perfect one I needed to hear, you know, you dig up and expound on it a little bit more, even if you have a prayer journal or some of us do our devotions and we do our scripture observation application and our prayer, we call it SOAP, and write it in there. Write it somewhere so that you can keep tabs on what God is doing in your life and it'll help you to grow. Last week, we talked about uh, 2014 and our connecting groups. And tonight, I want to give a little bit more uh, on the foundational part of connecting groups and when, what that kind of look, looks like. And we're still developing certain areas because it has to do with a new kind of way to build relationships as well as using technology. So uh, as we go into 2014 and we finish strong 2013, our focus this year, of course, is Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. We're doing our very best to, uh, to stay close to our building up of our Wednesday night, which is our equip services, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry taken out of Ephesians chapter 4 verses, I think it's 10 through 16. It should be in the back of your, your bulletin, your notes. And then Sunday morning. Sunday morning is so that we partner with you in your attempts to reach your family and friends. Can you kind of put that in your mind? That Sunday mornings are so that we partner with you in your attempts to reach your, to reach your family and friends. Some of you have a lot of friends on Facebook, hundreds of friends. So my challenge to you is this. For every 100 friends you have, whenever you come across your friends on Facebook, whatever it is, pray for them. If they already know the Lord, still pray for them. But especially for those who don't know Jesus Christ, pray for them. It is by no mistake that we have this social networking going on. Some people are against it. They'll say, oh, that's of the devil. I believe God is the creator. God creates everything. He's the creator. Now, how people use it, that's where the enemy comes in. God creates. He has given mankind the ability to create. The reason why he creates certain things is so that we can connect with one another in building relationships. It is not good. From the very beginning, God says this, that man should not be alone. It's weird because if you think about it, man wasn't alone. Man was with God. How much more company do you need than God himself? But God knew that as a human being, there, 
there needed to be this relationship with others like how Adam was. And so he created Eve. Now there's relationship, and then they populated the earth. And so it is not good that we are alone, even though social networking connects us with hundreds, and sometimes we have, you know, a thousand of friends. Sometimes we can still be alone. So my challenge is not just with Facebook or whatever social network you use, but also think of someone that you can pray for that has never gone to church or maybe someone who you are reaching out to and, and maybe you're saying, boy, I don't know if they know God. I don't know if they have a relationship with him or maybe they do, but I don't know where they are in this relationship with God. And maybe they are looking for that. Maybe they're looking for someone to, to make that connection with them. And maybe they're, they're, they're hoping you would be that person. Maybe they're hoping you would be the person because they know you go to church that would say, hey, would you come to church? And I know the fear because I have the same fear. You don't want to offend them. You don't want them to say, why, what church you go? Depends. Depends what church you go. You hope, oh, I go to church. So I know the fears. If they already go to another church, that's fine. But we should risk on the side of eternity, if anything, because God wants us to have these relationships. So tonight, as we talk about relationships, I'm, I'm going to do a little, uh, a little connection with the way our brains operate, if you don't mind, and the way our, our brains work. And it'll, it'll help us tie in to what the Bible says uh, when we read in Matthew and then all of the other scriptures that we're going to look at. So I was studying this thing called mirror neurons. And most of the times, if you're tired, you... Yawn. Now, how many of you feel like yawning right now? Or you just did right now? Okay, there's this thing called, and it's a... It's a it's kind of like a, uh, a phenomenon called contagious yawning. So contagious yawning is, is basically when someone yawns, you yawn too. Have you ever done that? And you see somebody else yawning, you're like, yeah, I yawn first, you cannot yawn. You, you know, you do that in your family. And scientists don't fully understand why this happens, and there are many, you know, hypotheses that are being researched. But we're just going to take a look at two uh, physiological hypothesis and then one psychological hypothesis in how this works. The first one is this thing called fixed action pattern. And fixed action pattern is like a reflex. You know when, when, when uh, somebody goes into your face and you flinch, it's a reflex. You can't stop it. You can't help it. Uh, it's a reflex. It, it happens. And the, the theory behind it is you yawn, I yawn. That's the reflex, and you can't even stop your own yawn. Have you ever tried stopping your own yawn in the middle of it? Or if somebody stops your yawn, you're mad. You're yawning, and halfway they tickle you or something because they want to make trouble, and you get mad. It's kind of like the domino effect. There's a reaction, and every domino thereafter takes place. One person triggers the, the act of yawning, and then another person nearby does the same thing. I was even driving one day, and I yawn, and the person turning yawned. And I was like, what? How is that happening? Once it starts, it can't stop. It runs its course. So that's fixed action pattern. And then there's another thing called non-conscious mimicry. 
So that's kind of known as they call it the ch chameleon effect. That there's, a, there's a, a mimic that takes place that you don't even know about it. Uh, something subconsciously. You know, when, uh, let's just say, itchy. Right, now it comes itchy. And then if I mention ukus, isn't it even worse? It was so good though. So, when someone does something, you mimic them unconsciously. Uh, sometimes you'll do it consciously, and I did that one time, and I got in trouble for it. Heidi was scolding uh, Jordan, uh, my youngest son, and she was telling him because he did some things wrong, and, 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 then, and then she scolded me because I didn't clean up after myself. And then she turned around to walk away, and she says, make sure you guys clean up. I went, I did that. So I was just playing around. And I didn't know she saw me because the reflection of the glass door. And <laughs> she turned around and I blacked out. So there's an there's a unconscious mimicry and a non-conscious mimicry. And then there's, you know, you, you, you do that on purpose. And so that happens as a result of that non-conscious mimicry. Someone you're sitting uh, next to or something folds their arms, you do the same thing. You're talking stories, somebody puts their hand in their pocket, you do the same thing. Someone sits down, cross their legs, they, you do the same thing. It's like an unconscious mimicry that takes place. And so it's just basically someone imitating someone else's behavior without even knowing it, and it's a subtle, unintentional copycat maneuver. And so we, we mimic others' postures or behaviors. And so scientists believe that this chameleon effect is possible because a, a set of of neurons in our minds called the mirror effect takes place. A bunch of neurons are in there and it's good for learning, it's good for uh, self-awareness, kind of like with children, when you're trying to teach them something, they mimic you. You try to teach them to do whatever it is, you show them how to walk, and then they, they, they mimic what you're trying. It's those mirror neurons a bunch of neurons that says, okay, what they're doing, you're going to do too. So they do scans in the brain where someone does something and you mimic them and certain areas light up in our brains and that's where those mirror neurons are located. And it's just a brain cell that responds equally when, when, when it performs an action and then mimicking someone else. So that's, that's all it does. That's what those neurons do. And babies develop this early on uh, my youngest grandson is Oakley, and he is three months old. And when I look at him, and you do the same thing. When you look at brand new babies, you make funny faces. And you go, hello. His name is Oakley. I say, hello, my Oakley. Hello, my Oakley. Hello, Oakley. Where's my Oakley boy? And he starts to smile. And then I do this for some reason. And, you know, you make funny noises. You do the same thing. But as he continues to watch me, he wants to do the same thing. And then you see bubbles coming out of his mouth. It's those mirror neurons in his mind saying, try that. That's how when babies continue to grow up, they mimic you. They even will say the same things you say. <laughs> then there's the third one, which is the psychological hypothesis, which is the empathy yawn. And... and and this, this says that your, well, empathy is the ability to understand what someone else is feeling and then partake in their uh, emotion. So it's saying that you have the ability to feel what the other person is feeling, like in a yawn, 
And so you do the same thing. And research shows this, and they did a, a study with dogs, that dogs will yawn more frequently with their owner yawning than it will a stranger. Now, when you go home, you're going to have dogs. You can go by your dog. You go, ah. see what happens. Just try it. I was tempted to do that with my dogs. I didn't have time, but I was thinking of trying it. But it's also with us that we will yawn more around close relatives than we would with strangers. It's just a part of this empathy yawn. And they, they've, they've shown that contagious yawning and this empathy yawning theory, it, it begins around the age of four or five when we as children, as we hit that age, understand more emotion. That we begin to understand what emotion is all about. And it's about that same age because there's that empathy yawn, there's that connection emotionally. So the next time you yawn, look around you and see if someone else is yawning and if there is some kind of contagious yawn. So what does that have to do with tonight? Well, that's how we're wired. And that's just some theories, okay? There's probably tons of other theories and a, a bunch of hypotheses that they, they're going to look at. But that's a, that's a way that we're created. That's the way the mind works. Now think about it this way. With that, that contagious yawning and, and how our brains are wired up with this mirror, uh, those neurons that mirror whatever it is that we see, I can understand why the Bible says what it says and why it tells us to do certain things and to love God because the way our brains function. So the first question I want to ask you tonight, and you can write this down or, or think about this, what actions do you need to take in this season of your life? What actions? And it could be spiritually, it could be uh, with a decision that you need to make. What actions do I need to take in this season of my life? And that, that kind of ties into this fixed action pattern. Like what domino effect do you have? What decision are you going to make that's going to kick the other dominoes? What, what's your spiritual reflex when God triggers it? What happens when God speaks to you? As we, as we go into our, our connecting groups and, and small groups and that season, how are you going to be a part of that? Because we all need... We all need help in certain areas. These are three areas that I look at in my life. If I look at, anytime I look at, okay, what, what action do I need to take in this season of my life? And I must ask myself this all the time. And these are, I would guess, I would say it as three life gauges. It's a G. Three life gauges. So my first life gauge and this is empty, and this is full. This is my life gauge, and this one would be physical. In other words, where am I in this season of my life physically? How's my health? Am I in, am I in, is, is, my, is my body broken? Am I in good condition? Can I function well with my arms and my legs? Is my, are my ligaments not healthy? Have I come to an age in my life that I cannot move? So these, this is the first gauge. The second gauge that I'll look at, well, empty or full, is spiritual. 
my spiritual gauge. What does that look like? My, my spiritual gauge is, is like what, what fills me up. What, what, what am I doing that fills up my spiritual gauge? Like tonight, our equipped service, our small groups that we're going to be getting into, Bible studies. Some of you might be a part of a book club that you read a, a great leadership book together or, or like a spiritual breakthrough kind of book and, and you'll have a group of maybe three or four people and that will build you up spiritually. It'll refill you spiritually or devotional groups. We have our men's ministry that meets on Saturday mornings or women's ministries that have different functions. Our youth, uh, they have a women's Bible study on Saturday morning. They have uh, cardio kickboxing for, like, it's like it builds you up spiritually sometimes. But they also have uh, our hula ministry. So there's various groups that gather together that can help build us up spiritually or our Sunday mornings. And so that's our physical, spiritual and then our, and this is the one that many of us, especially as men, we don't even watch. We just let this one go. And this is our emotional, our emotional gauge. Because we grew up with, eh, no cry. That's what we grew up with. No cry, no cry. You weak. If you cry, you weak. So we don't want to deal with our emotions and we say, I don't want to have anything to do with emotionals, uh, the emotional side of me. But what our what our connecting groups will do is it'll help us with this because we'll be accountable in these different areas. These three gauges are very important. I've noticed this. Anytime I'm in a season of my life where, have you ever gotten to a place where you feel like, I don't know what's wrong. I just don't know what it is. I don't know if it's my day or what, what, what is going on. It's just something's not clicking right. I don't know what it is. The first thing I do is go through these three things. How am I doing physically? Am I eating healthy? Am I eating right? Am I, am I doing good with that? And so I, I looked at 1 Timothy 4.8. And 1 Timothy 4.8, it says, Physical exercise has some value, but spiritual exercise is much more important for it promises a reward in both this life and the next. So it sounds like, well, spiritual exercise is much more important, which is what it says. What it's not saying is physical exercise is not important. It says physical exercise has some value. Now Paul is speaking to younger Timothy. So Paul is at a latter point in his life where he's speaking to a young person. And maybe he's at the place where his back is maybe bent a little. Maybe, you know, he's not as, as strong as he was before because he was a tent maker. Maybe he still has some strength. And maybe young Timothy comes along and says, oh, I can tie that for you. Oh, you let me carry that for you, Paul. I can carry that for you. I get him one arm, one arm, one arm. I can. And Paul's looking at him and saying, you know, yeah, right now it's okay. But wait till you come to my age. I like to see you lift that one hand. Nah, I get them. I, 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 you know, I, I work out. I, I make sure that I'm in good shape. And Paul says, you know, physical exercise has some value. But boy, I'm at a place in my life where, where spiritual exercise is much more important. For it, pr it promises a reward in both this life and in, and in the next. It's like Paul is giving Timothy a, a, just a great talk on, yes, spiritual exercise is very important. And yeah, physical exercise has some value. My thought is, if it has some value, I want to take advantage of that some value. Whatever some value it has. Now, I, I looked at my 20s. In my 20s, uh, and being with the youth, I really didn't need to exercise. I was just with them all the time, running and, and doing sports with them. And your metabolism is, a, is at a different rate in your 20s. So you could pound food. You could eat whatever you wanted to, and you're fine. And then there's this thing called the 30s. Now, when the 30s hit, so does the gut. So in your 30s, something takes place. Your metabolism slows down, and your fat cells don't. They stay there. They kind of hang around just in case you starve. 
And so it hangs around you for a long time. So in my 30s, I had to discipline myself to learn how to eat correctly. And the reason why I say in my 30s is because I was preparing for my 40s, which is now. If I, and it took me almost 10 years to prepare my discipline of eating. Ask Pam Thomas. She knows. I would, I would just eat and eat and eat. Ask Heidi. She knows. And I had to prepare in my 30s for my 40s because I was that bad with my discipline with eating. So by the time I come to my 40s, in my, in, in my 30s transitioning, now I had to exercise on purpose. That had to be something that I had to do. And I had to develop that in my later 30s so that when I hit my 40s, it's a discipline, no longer a chore. Like, oh, I don't know if I can go running today. Nah, go eat one donut. Your, your mind is going to tell you to do something else. So it, it takes time. And so as you go, now in what I'm preparing for, believe it or not, is my 50s. And here's what I'm doing. I'm preparing my mind for my 50s because when I get into my 50s, if I'm not able to do what I'm doing today as far as the running and abilities, then I got to be okay with how fast I run at 50 years old. If I go at a slower pace, I got to be okay with that. And you should too. If you're in your 60s or 70s and you're doing your very best with a, a pace that you have, you got to be okay with that. Why? Because that's the season you're in. As we say, the mind says can. The body says, don't you dare. So that's the physical side. And First Timothy tells us that. That's what all these activity groups are going to be for. Camping, surfing, running, exercise, going to the movies. I don't know about movies with, you know, exercise and all that. But you exercise to go to the movies and I understand that. <clears throat> Am I speaking too fast? Huh. Rob is saying, yeah. <laughs> so second thing. Uh, not just... Uh, what actions do I need to take in this season of my life, but who have I been imitating? Who have I been imitating? That's where that non-conscious mimicry comes in. Who do I imitate? That chameleon effect. Do I imitate the world, people around me? Do I imitate society, my coworkers, worldviews? Or do we imitate Jesus? Because it's in our minds. We're going we're gonna to mimic someone. We're going to imitate someone. It's already there. We have these mirror neurons. It's going to happen. It's like when we grew up, we have all these famous people that we mimic. We speak like them, talk like them, dress like them, try to sing like them. We try our very best. Why? Because we mimic someone. It's a part of our neurological behavior. We have that already set in us. So we take that and we transform it to be like Jesus. And maybe we've been unconsciously been imitating more things other than Christ. Maybe even a certain religious leader or a, a religious person, a friend, or sometimes we'll read a blog site or we'll read a book and then we'll say, oh, I want to be like that. Or we see TV or, or watch a movie and we say, boy, I want to have that. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, and Paul says this. He says, imitate me. But then he continues, just as I also imitate Christ. So what Paul was saying is, my mirror neurons are on Christ. That's what he's saying. He's not saying be like me. He's saying these mirror neurons that are in my mind, he's not literally saying that, but that's what's happening in his mind. I, I'm imitating Christ. So, so if you're going to mimic me, Timothy, if you're going to mimic me, Church of Corinthia, uh, in the Corinthian church, if you're going to mimic me, put it on Christ because that's what I'm doing. Mimic me as I also mimic Christ. If you're going to imitate anyone, imitate Christ. That's what he's telling the church. 
because he understands that we're going to mimic someone, we're going to imitate someone. That's why Romans 12, 2, it, it tells us, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Transformed, it means to change into another form, to transform, to transfigure. Now, Matthew chapter 17, and you can turn there if you have your Bible, or if you're already there. Matthew chapter 17. And if you're reading your devotions, you should be in this or you're going to be in this soon. Matthew chapter 17. It says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. In other words, he changed in his appearance. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, if you've read the Old Testament and the tabernacle and, you've saw, and you saw what was required to build this thing, do you realize what Peter is saying? He's like saying, let's go, I'll just take something small, our courtyard tent. Peter sees Jesus with Elijah and Moses, and he says, hey, hey, Jesus, um, you know what, let's, let's make a tent like that, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. Let's do that. You know how much work that is? That's a lot of work. Peter didn't know what he was really saying. All he knew was he wanted to do something great for Christ, and what they knew of was the tabernacle, and then the Holy of Holies where God, God's presence was. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased hear him and when the disciples heard it they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid but jesus came and touched them and said arise and do not be afraid when they had lifted up their eyes they saw no one but jesus only I want to keep that word only. And I want to say this to all of us tonight. If you're going to imitate anyone, imitate Jesus only. If you're going to worship anyone, worship Jesus only. Because we want to do great things for God. There's no doubt about that. We want to do great things for God. But when, when, when we say certain things, and when that goes away, or the emotions go away, only Jesus will be there. Let, let, let Him be at the highest place and then the last thing, am I willing to love others? Am I willing to love others? That's that empathy part of it. Am I willing to, to be empathetic or, or to have that, that compassionate spirit that Jesus had towards others? Do I have that kind of spirit? Am I willing to love others? Am I willing to stand with others when they go through their emotional seasons? Because that's what connecting groups are all about. It's connecting with people so when they go through their hard times, you will be there with them. And when someone is in the hospital, you be there by their side. And when someone's child is sick or, or maybe they're sick and, or maybe they're going through a tough season, maybe a surgery that they went through, then you can make meals for them. That you can be the one that says, hey, don't worry about it, we'll take care of you. We do that already. How much more with the body of Christ? And then for new people that will come to know the Lord come 2014. As Wilfred was saying, people are looking for the light. 
You may think of the world as, oh, it's a dark place, which is true, but light shines brightest in the darkest areas. That's who God made you to be, to shine as bright lights in this darkened world. Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I heard of one person say, you know, they came to church, got saved, changed their life, and was coming to church. And then we started to talk about new people and, and you know, inviting people. And, and a certain group of people came, and, and they noticed that, whoa, that, those are people that I know. And they left church because they knew them. And I thought, why would you do that? Basically, what happened was they forgot where they came from. And they're wondering, well, how come they're coming to church? And I thought, Lord, may I never forget the day of my salvation, as the Bible says. Because once I forget the day I was saved, I forget the day that other people are going to be saved. I'm going to forget about the compassion that God gave to me. I'm going to forget about the forgiveness that he's given to me that I'm supposed to give to other people. I'm going to forget about the love that he gave to me that I'm supposed to give to someone else. I pray that come 2014 in our year of relationships and building relationships, that you will see people that you are enemies with walk into this very church because that will challenge your faith. I, I pray that people who you have said things horrible against, and I've said horrible things against, they walk into this church because it's going to challenge my faith. And I pray that we will be people who will humble ourselves before God and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make it right. And even if you walk up to them and, and they look at you like, oh, what, what, what? Or whatever they're going to say. Or maybe they'll say, oh, hey, how's it? What, what you doing here? Or whatever it is, whatever awkward moment comes up, that you would just welcome them. And even if you have to dig deep and say, Lord, it was their fault, but I'm going to represent you well, and I'm going to ask them for forgiveness. Because guess what? It's already happening. We already see people that come to church and then we, we judge. Sometimes they'll come in, they'll see you and they'll say, oh, I don't like come here. No, I, don't, I don't like come here. Why? Because the kind's still here. I don't like, I don't like. We go to other church. Which one? Anyone. <laughs> we, go, we go anywhere, please. It, it, it's already going to happen. Am I willing to love others? Romans twelve fifteen. it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In other words, have that same compassion for other people. When we start our small groups and our our connecting groups, and, and when we build relationships with people, be okay. Be okay with their slip-ups. Be okay with the mistakes that they're going to make. Be okay, I would say it this way, be okay with them being sick. Because God was okay with us when we came to Him, and we were sick. And we said to Him, Lord, I don't, I don't have enough in me. And I don't know what the future looks like, but I need some fixing here. And God said, okay. And he healed us. As the Bible tells us, now you, because you went through that, you do the same thing that someone else did for you and what God did for you. For the very same thing that you went through, God's going to use you for, for someone else. I can't tell you how, how many times Heidi and I have counseled young teenagers because they were going through pregnancy. Because we had our son when I was 15 and Heidi was 16. 
I can't tell you, I mean, I can't even count anymore. The things that you have gone through that God has helped you with, it does not go to waste. So don't think of your life and your past as a, a mishap or a behavioral pattern that you went through that is, oh boy, I don't, I'm not proud of my past. Yeah, I'm sure we're not. But God can, God can take that and use it for good. And so when we start our connecting groups, when we start connecting with people, remember the day that you were saved. And remember what that was like. And love people. Philippians 2, 3, it says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. It's a hard thing to do in today's world. But with Jesus, with God, all things are possible. You close your Bibles and let's pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that we can always learn from you and your word. Help us to be people to get ready for, or if we already have a small group or, or do devotions with people, with people or we're in a ministry, uh, that we would continue to ask ourselves the question, what are we willing to do in this season of our lives? If we, if we have to correct one of those gauges with our emotions, maybe we need to do things that fill our soul, to do things that we used to do that, that added to our life. Maybe there's, there's a spiritual thing that's happening in us right now and maybe we need to get back into your word Maybe it is filling our soul with, with biblical teaching, uh, however you lead us in that way, but that our spirit would be revived. Physical body, Lord, you've given us one body to live on this earth with, and we want to wanna do well with that because it is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so we want to take good care of our health. And help us to do that, Lord, and I know we live in a world that we have all kinds of junk food and, 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 and things that ruin the inside. But Lord, there are choices that we can make so that we can honor you with our bodies. Help us to love others. Help us to imitate only you. And most of all, Lord, when we connect with people, we want to represent you well. Thank you again teaching us well. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen, amen, amen.